Greetings, saints of God. So glad you've joined us for this episode of the Raw Faith Podcast. This is Shelley McWilliams, your host, and I am thrilled to be digging in the Word today with you. So we're going to be talking about 1 John chapter 3. So pivotal that we truly get this concept of the Father's love. And I want to read just part of chapter 3 to you and talk a little bit about it today and have you ponder what does that mean for you? Because this is personal. So as I read this, I want you to hear that this is you. This is about you personally. So starting in 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. I'll be reading from the Passion Translation, verse 1 of chapter 3. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that He has lavished on us. Talking about Jesus here and Jesus' sacrifice. He has called us and He has made us His very own beloved children. The reason the world does not recognize who we are is that they do not recognize Him. Talking about Christ again. Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become, but we know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him, talking about Christ, for we will see him as he truly is. And all who focus their hope on him will always be purifying themselves just as Jesus is pure. Going on in verse 4, talking about the character of God's children. It says, anyone who indulges in sin lives in moral anarchy, for the definition of sin is breaking God's law. So let me stop there for one moment. What this says is breaking any part of God's law. Well, what's God's law? The scriptures. So if we do anything contrary to the scripture, then we're in sin. It's as simple as that. And that's something that we don't like to look at, and we don't hear a lot of messages on sin from the pulpits in North America. But sin is a huge issue to God. The reason Jesus came was to pay the price and atone for our sins so that we can have fellowship with God, because God cannot have fellowship with us until sin is washed away. That's the beauty of what Jesus did. So sin is defined as anything that breaks God's law. Verse 5, And we know without doubt that Jesus was revealed to eradicate sin, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in union with Christ will not sin. And let me stop there and talk about that. We're all going to sin in our humanity This passage of scripture is talking about that if we live in union with Christ, we will not sin. And if you look at the original language, it is talking about habitual, persistent sin. So it doesn't mean that we're not going to have our issues. But the key is, are we, as we live in union with Jesus, asking him to deliver us from that sin and break that and be able to continue through his empowerment to walk in holiness? You know, scripture says, be holy for I am holy. The Lord also says that he looks upon the heart of a man. If our heart is to walk in unity with Christ and to be sinless because we are no longer slaves to sin, Paul says, then we have continual union with him. And so it's not talking about the sin that just happens day to day. It's talking about if you have a persistent, habitual sin that you're not even convicted of anymore, then you really need to humble your hearts and let the Lord deal with that. So let's go on in verse 6. 
But the one who continues sinning has not seen with discernment or knowing him by an intimate experience. And so in verse 6, we see that a key to somebody who has habitual sin in their life is because they have not truly caught a reality, an intimate experience with Christ. What does that mean? Well, we could learn a lot about Christ. We could go to church every Sunday. We could even go to church every Wednesday. We can go to every conference and we could learn a lot about God. We could learn a lot about Christ. We could learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. But this knowing in this passage of scripture is an intimate knowing as a husband and a wife knowing. And it means that we have truly experienced and have been able to grab hold of the love that Christ has for us and the love that God has for us. There are so many people that I know that are walking around and they have never felt God's love yet. It hasn't been an intimate experience. And I think I've shared this in past podcasts, but I was right there. I got saved in high school when I was 17 years old, and I loved the Lord, and I gave everything I had to Him, but I never felt His love until I went through personal ministry when I was in my 30s and allowed God to heal some things that were in my heart and set me free from some things that came in generationally and doors I opened myself because I just had some issues from life. I was carrying a lot of hurts, a lot of wounds that I didn't even know how to get rid of. But I went through ministry and it really allowed Jesus to take my broken heart and make it whole. And it allowed him to set me free from certain spirits that were keeping me in bondage to certain sins. But in that experience, I'll never forget the first time the Lord spoke to me about something that was very traumatic in my childhood, very wounding. Jesus showed up and I felt the love of God for the first time. And it broke me because I always knew in my head, well, God loved me because that's what the scripture says. And I thought, well, maybe I'm just not one that's going to ever feel that. But when I felt the love of God, it changed my relationship with God. It wasn't just something I was operating out of sacrificial love for him, but I did it now because I realized he loved me. And the scripture talks about that. We love because he first loved us. And so there are so many of us that are walking around hurt and wounded today where our hearts are so bruised and scabbed and broken and ripped that we wouldn't know healthy love if it knocked us upside the head. Can we just be honest? There's been a lot of traumas in most people's lives. There's been a lot of disappointments and brokenness. There's been a lot of bondage in people's lives. And we've got to let God deal with that because if our hearts are shattered, it's when Jesus puts that back together and he binds up that broken heart that that heart is able to feel and experience love. If we feel unlovable, no matter what somebody does, we don't know how to receive that love. And by opening my heart to Jesus and allowing him to bring healing to me, I can say, although I gave my life to the Lord when I was 17, I did not enter a real intimate experience with God's love until I was in my early 30s. And let's go on and see what that does. In verse 7, It says, delightfully loved children. Do you know that you're delightfully loved by God? 
See, that's so hard for us to imagine because most of us can't relate to that. We equate God's love for us based on whether we're worthy or not. Well, I don't feel worthy of God's love. You know what? None of us are worthy of God's love. But when we look at God, it's not a matter of whether we're worthy or not. That's why Jesus came, because we can never be worthy. God loves us because God is love. God loves us because he can't help himself. It's about God loving us, not about us proving to him that we're lovable. And most of us have that backwards. We live this relationship with the Lord trying to prove that we're good and trying to prove that Lord will see how much I love you. And we strive in our relationship and we operate, well, God doesn't want me to do this and God doesn't want me to do that and God doesn't want me. Can I tell you, that's a horrible relationship with God if that's your understanding. But when you realize that God calls you a delightfully loved child, and realize that what he puts in his word, if you will, are bumper guards for us to stay in. It's like he handed us the Bible and he said, here, this is going to tell you about me, but it's also going to tell you how I created things to function. And if you're obedient and stay within the precepts or the word, then this is how things are going to work the best. And God did it out of love. That's why he wants obedience. Is not that he's power hungry and he wants us to be good little kids. That's not the motive of his heart. The motive of his heart is, please stay within these guidelines because when you do all that I have for you, you're going to be able to experience that and you're going to be able to receive that. And he knows that when we don't stay within his law, within the scriptures, that we don't live according to the Bible, trouble is going to ensue. Why? Because it's not that God's mad at us. It's because he created certain laws. And if we violate those laws, trouble ensues. You know, if I jump off the roof of my house, I'm coming down and I'm probably going to hurt something, especially at my age. I can't fight the law of gravity, but if I choose to jump off the roof, then trouble's going to ensue. Is that because God's angry at me and so he's punishing me? No, it's because he created the law of gravity and I chose to test that and I chose not to stay within boundaries of that and I chose what I wanted to do and I jumped off the roof of the house and I hurt myself. And so, so many of us have this confused picture of who God is as a loving father, and we equate him with how we've experienced authorities in our lives. And sadly, a lot of those authorities are, well, you do good, I'm happy with you. Well, you do bad, and I'm mad at you. That is not God. God's heart breaks when we sin. And so many times I've asked the Lord, I can't even imagine what you must feel like. Father, sitting on his throne, Jesus at his right hand, interceding for us, knowing that Jesus came and he sacrificed so that we would be able to walk in intimate relationship with God. And them having to look down at us when we violate the law and we go through things in our life that we never had to go through that God never wanted us to go through, but we decided to do things our way as opposed to God's way. I wonder how Father and Jesus must feel to know that everything is accessible for us, but we've hurt ourselves. 
It's painful to watch your loved ones make choices that hurt themselves. It's painful to watch them make choices that you know they're going down a road where things are not going to be fun. Well, Father sees things that same way. Now, the beautiful thing is he sees the end result. But I believe personally that Father's heart feels a ping in it when he sees us make a choice And he looks at Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and Jesus knows the sacrifice that he made. And they're looking on our lives, and their heart breaks when we break his commandments, because they know that trouble is going to ensue. See, God's just. He can't just change the rules for us because he loves us. That would not make him God. God changes not. And so we have to realize that we are delightfully loved, that so much of how we perceive of obedience and being a Christian comes from that place of works and earning our way into the Father's heart. That is not possible. We already have Father's heart. There is nothing that you can do today that is going to make God love you anymore. And there is nothing that you can do today that is going to make God love you any less. It's not about us. It's about the fact that God is love and he loves us. He wants to bless us. He wants to be an intimate communion and so that we have an intimate experience with him. He wants intimate fellowship. It's about his love. He can't help himself. Verse 7 goes on to say, Delightfully loved children, do not let anyone divert you from this truth. The person who keeps doing what is right proves that he is righteous before God, even as the Messiah is righteous. Again, meaning there that because Jesus comes into our life and he says that we are no longer captive to sin, then we continue to live a life of righteousness through Jesus. And so our goal is to keep becoming more and more like Jesus. Verse 8 goes on and says, But the one who indulges in a sinful life, again, talking about that repetitive, persistent sin, you know it's sin, but you don't want to address it, or somehow you've justified it. The scripture here says, Those that indulge in that sinful life is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's a strong statement. But the reality is, is that if we continue to keep sinning and we're okay with that, we open a door to the enemy and we do give him influences in our life because sin opens the door for the enemy to have a legal right to impact our lives. We're going to have a squatter in our lives before you know it that we never wanted. So the rest of verse 8 goes on and it says, The reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. Do you know that is Jesus' mission statement right there? This sums it up. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That means he came to destroy sin so that we can have fellowship with the Father. He came to destroy the power of the enemy so that we can have freedom. Whatever the enemy does to steal, kill, and destroy our lives, Jesus came to totally eradicate that and to destroy all the works of the enemy in our lives. 
Verse 9 goes on, it says, Everyone who is truly God's child will refuse to keep sinning because God's seed remains within him, and he is unable to continually sinning because he has been fathered by God himself. You see, if you've got an issue with sin, let me challenge you. You probably have an issue with really realizing and experiencing God's love for you. Because when you can grasp how much God loves you, you don't want to sin because you realize how much it breaks his heart. It goes from us having to be obedient children to a set of rules to realizing these are the bumper guards. And when I go outside that, I hurt God who loves me so much. And I hurt myself, but I hurt God. And we don't think about that because we think, I don't know what we think. God's stoic and he's out there and, you know, he doesn't feel these things. But when we sin, it breaks the heart of God. In verse 10, the scripture goes on and it says, Here is how God's children can be clearly distinguished from the children of the evil one. Anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love for fellow believers is not living with God as his source. What does that mean? Well, scripture's clear. We are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And in that intimate experience with Christ, our hearts are transformed. We get a revelation of the love of God and we don't want to keep sinning. We want to live righteous lives, and it takes the grace of the Holy Spirit and Jesus to give us that heart, to make that transformation in us. How do we get there? Well, the very last part of that verse tells us we have to live with God as our source. You see, I can know a lot about God. I can quote scripture back and forth. I can take you on any sort of theological debate, but that doesn't mean that I know God as my source. When God is my source, it doesn't mean God moves through me. It means that I abide in Him. So how do we demonstrate this righteousness? How do we we even love fellow believers? Well, the end of verse 10 tells us that. We have to live with God as our source. Again, there's many of us who God is this father figure that we don't quite understand. And we think he's either happy with us or he's mad at us. And then we have Jesus, which we realize is a savior, but we don't really understand what that means to yield our lives to him. There's a huge difference between saying a salvation prayer and having a savior than saying a prayer that invites him to be your Lord. You see, when Jesus is your Lord, it means you have given your life to him. Sadly, there are so many people that I believe are really loving God to the best of their ability, but because they don't really grasp this intimate experience of the depth and the height and the width of God's love, that they don't even think about living with him as the source, with Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, with the Holy Spirit as our helper and our counselor and our teacher. We kind of know, okay, well, yeah, he's a resource, but we don't know what it is to abide in him. And that means that we are in continual persistent connection with him. He is our life source. Now, I don't know about you, but I couldn't always say that. I didn't understand that. My heart was so broken, I couldn't perceive that. 
But as I've allowed the Lord to continue to do a work in me, and the more He heals my heart, the more I'm able to receive and understand His love. Most of us, like I said earlier, we're hurt. Our hearts are bruised. And so we can't fathom this type of love that the Scripture is talking about here. But I really want to encourage you, read 1 John chapter 3. Chew on it. Meditate on it. Pray. Father, make this real. Lord, I want an intimate experience with you that I would know your love for me. Sometimes we don't even think to ask that. I ask all the time, God, give me more of you. Make me hungry for more of you, Lord. Because I know I can't even be hungry for God unless he puts it in me. The scripture says that it's Holy Spirit who draws a man to God. It's him who gives you that hunger that you have to know God more. It's him putting that desire in you to be close to God. What's going to lead to him is when we get a revelation and we know your love never fails. Your love never wavers for me, God. I am fully accepted by you. That is such a hopeful and secure feeling when we have that. I'm going to end there for today, but I really encourage you, ask the Lord for an intimate experience with Him. Not a head knowledge, but an intimate experience that you know that you know you have felt God's love and it's changed you. Amen. That's my prayer. Father, that everybody within the sound of my voice would experience an intimate connection with you, an intimate revelation of how much that they are delightfully loved children of yours. Amen. God bless you. And I am praying that God just knock your socks off as you meditate on 1 John 3. And as you just cry out to God, God, I need an intimate experience with you.